Hello, my featherless bipedal humanoid friends. It is my extreme pleasure to welcome you to the inaugural episode of The Jared White Show. I am, of course, your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. You can visit my website at jaredwhite.com, where you can sign up for my weekly newsletter with the latest links and blog posts from the site, as well as news about this podcast. I'll also soon be launching a Patreon membership, so if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, that will be the way to do it. Well, let me tell you, folks, I'm feeling pumped. I am feeling pumped about the first episode of the show. I have coffee in hand. I'm sitting at my desk. I have my show notes here in front of me. And I'm feeling good about getting started here. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is Yanny versus Laurel. Not. No, 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 no. We're not going to start talking about that. I am not going to weigh in. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. And let's just move right along here. Okay, folks. So what are we going to talk about on the show? Well, a big part of the topic that is going to be ongoing for the show is this concept of the website as an art form and the web being more than just sort of this conduit for things that go from one computer to another and that we use apps for to, you know, consume content off of, I don't know, Instagram or whatever. Uh, no, no, let, let's let's kind of roll back the clock here. And I want to talk to you about the web as it was initially conceived. All the way back in 1990, Tim Berners-Lee invented this thing called the World Wide Web. And it was envisioned as this hypertext platform. Now, what is hypertext? Well, a bunch of theorists going back many decades, long before the web started, came up with this idea that you could have this basically like flat space of information and all these different pieces of information would link to each other through what are called hyperlinks. And so, you know, if you had document A by somebody over here and document B from a completely different person over here that could be on the other side of the planet, those two documents could be linked together through hyperlinks. So one document could reference another and you basically have this space where everything has its own unique identifier of some kind that allows these links to form. And so, you know, the first widespread practical application of this hypertext concept was the World Wide Web. Now, there had been other formats, uh, platforms on the internet before the web for documents and for sharing, and, you know, other protocols like FTP and Gopher. But I think the reason the web really took off was because it was so easy. You just had this thing called HTML, which was a simple markup language for text. And you all, all you had to do was just write out your document, put a few tags in, and then just stick it on a server somewhere, just a file on a web server, and poof, you're part of the web. You now have a hypertext document that can link to everybody else's hypertext documents. And so this was a super amazing and powerful concept at the time. And guess what? It is still a super amazing and powerful concept. And what I really want to talk about 
is the notion that the website, in other words, this thing that has a domain name that you can type in and on a web browser and go to, and it's by an actual person who's publishing things on their website for you to engage with and read and enjoy and maybe comment on or discuss through some kind of, you know, discussion platform that's linked to that website. Um, this, this, is, this is not something that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I was listening to um, a podcast with Dave Weiner, who uh, is the inventor of the RSS technology that's used for RSS feeds. And uh, RSS feeds, if you don't know, actually are what powers podcast. Podcasting would not exist without the RSS feed. Um, but anyway, um, he was talking about the fact that uh, for for a few years, as as Twitter became big, and Google actually shut down their Google Reader platform, which used RSS under the hood, um, it kind of messed up his thinking around the web and publishing on on your own website. Um, and what he meant by that was uh, a few years ago, everybody was saying the web is dead. The web is dying. Nobody's going to be going to websites and reading content on websites. It's all going to be, you know, content that's distributed through social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and now, you know, Instagram or Snapchat or one of the the newer ones that's come along. And, you know, the idea that you would have your own domain name, like, say, jaredwhite.com and publish something there and expect people to go to that website and read it. That was just this antiquated notion, and nobody's going to do that, so, you know, say goodbye. Farewell, web. Farewell, blogs. It was nice knowing you, but that's going the way of the dodo. Well, it turns out that's not actually true. While it is true that blogging as a pastime has certainly decreased from its heyday in the early 2000s, the idea that you can set up a blog and publish your content on your own blog, on your own domain name, on the web as a hypertext document that can be linked to and can link to other hypertext documents, that is not going away. Let me repeat this because I think this is like super critical for us to, to understand. That is not going away. There is no technology that will be replacing that anytime in the near or even distant future. No, it's just not going to happen. And so we kind of have to take a step back now and, and think about, well, if the web is not actually dying, if Facebook's not replacing the web, if Twitter's not replacing the web, if Snapchat's not going to replace the web, if hypertext documents that you can get to with a simple link that can link to other documents and, you know, the, the, the interactivity and the amazing visuals and animations and and videos and things you can embed on web pages, if that technology is here to stay, then we need to celebrate that. We need to enjoy it, we need to revel in it, we need to appreciate it, and we need to talk about it as not only a technology, but as an art form. And so that's really one of the main topics of the Jared White Show going forward, this idea that websites are more than just, you know, these ways of publishing stuff that will be superseded by some newer technology as a way of publishing stuff. But it's, it's really its own art form. It's its own medium that is here to stay. Now let's, let's, let's think about this a little bit in the context of history. Um, photography is a great example. Photography was invented in the 1800s. And, you know, we have 
these incredible digital cameras today. We have huge DSLRs that can take you know images of incredible resolution, um, you know, all the way to smartphones in our pockets where you can snap a new picture anywhere you want to. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's it's you know amazing the technology we have, and yet, and yet photography as a medium, as an art form, is virtually unchanged over a hundred years since it was invented. I mean, think about it. A picture that's a snapshot of something that the photographer is seeing, and they want to highlight something of importance, and they want to make you feel something when you view that image. And, you know, they may have creatively applied some kind of processing, some kind of filtering, whether it's, you know, at the lens, at the optics level, or whether it's post-processing through, you know, what used to be in the darkroom, but is now, you know, through software generally, um, something that photographer wants to convey to you emotionally through this image, they are controlling that from, from capture all the way to delivery to your eyeballs. And so photography as an art form is virtually unchanged since it was first invented in the, in the way that, that it, it, it works and the, the purposes for it. And uh, only the technology essentially has gotten better. Only the technology of, of producing and, re- and, re- and reproducing photography has, has improved and has you know, evolved over the years. And so let's, let's look back on, uh, uh, now on, on the website. I believe that in 100 years, I, I'm, just, I'm going out on a limb here, but I believe in 100 years, the website will still be an art form. The website will still be this place of interactivity, of writing, of different types of multimedia com- combined. This, the website as a place where you can link to other pages on the web. Uh, the website as a, as a vehicle for self-expression. Uh, the website as a destination for conversation. I believe that that concept, that art form, will still be around in a hundred years and it will still have a, a, a basically a, a, a seamless connection to the historical past as an art form. Now, the technology may be quite different. It will evolve. It will improve. Maybe we won't be using the HTTP protocol in 100 years. Maybe we won't be using the HTML markup language in 100 years. Maybe we won't be using CSS or RSS or one of these other technologies that's part of the fabric of the web. Maybe there will be an entirely new programming language that looks nothing like JavaScript. But regardless of the improvement of technology, I believe that the web as a concept and the website as an art form will still be around in 100 years. And so I think it bears some thought as to where we are going as a society with how we, how we grapple with the web. And you know, by larger extension, the internet, of course. But really, I want to talk about the web and the website. Um, and so it also is important to, to look at some distinctions here between uh, the website and just you know, what people do with the web. So for example, if you follow your favorite creator on YouTube and they're always publishing new videos, um, that's, that's great, that's wonderful. And, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. But uh, the website we're talking about here is not that creator publishing videos and what they're doing. The website is YouTube. YouTube.com is the website. And so, you know, 
as a as a creator, I feel like if all I can ever do is is use a medium that someone else has complete control over, like YouTube.com or like Medium.com or certainly Facebook.com or Twitter.com. The, those are websites controlled by large corporations. Uh, you know, okay, I, I'm not going to bash large corporations here on the show. You know, I wouldn't be able to record this podcast and, and deliver it to you if I weren't using a computer by a large corporation called Apple. So there's nothing inherently wrong with a large corporation controlling technology and inventing new technology. But I think it bears some some serious consideration to think about how we are uh, engaging with content and publishing content online. Are we doing it through websites, through our own domain names and our own servers and our own uh, ability to to have complete control over the the look and feel of that content and how it gets delivered to our audience? Um, are you know is that something that we care about as a society, the ability to do that? Or do we want to cede all control over our content to a small number of large corporations? In other words, do we trust YouTube.com to be the way that we publish all of our videos and consume all of our videos as you know, creators online? Are we okay with having all of our thoughts, all of our opinions about everything being uh, published on and consumed through Facebook.com? Are we okay with all of our photography, all of our imagery that we we capture and want to share with people? Are we okay with having that happen completely through Instagram.com and, by extension, the Instagram mobile application? Uh, I think that bears some serious consideration. And, you know, over the course of of many episodes to come, I'm sure you'll (laughs) come to realize uh, what my position is on this. But uh, basically, the the thought I want to leave you with today here is that uh, the website as an art form is something that I believe should be celebrated, should be encouraged. I I want to encourage more people to create websites. I want to encourage people to, to, to create their own content and publish it through their own publication channel on the web and be a part of the web, be part of the, the, the hypertext space that is the web. You know, if, if I publish uh, a comment on jaredwhite.com and link to something you've published on, you know, I don't know, janetmcgillicuddy.com, <laughs> I, you know, I think that's fantastic. I think it's absolutely amazing that, that you can have janetmcgillicuddy.com and publish a post on your site and I can read that and think, wow, this article is fantastic. And then I can publish a comment on my site and link to that article. I, I think that is the most incredible thing that has happened in my lifetime. Now, let me back up a moment. I'm not saying that's necessarily the greatest invention of mankind. I mean, I realize that cars are hugely important. I realize that the electrical grid is hugely important. But those were things that were invented before I was born. You know, I was born into a world where there's electricity, where there are cars, where there are appliances for our kitchens and our, and our, you know, we can put laundry into a machine and it gets wet and it turns around and, and then we can put it into another machine and it gets dry and we can take it out. And those are tasks that used to be done, you know, by hand throughout the ages that was, you know, a huge part of people's lives just to do those simple tasks. So don't get me wrong. There, there are incredible 
amazing technologies, you know, that have been invented in human history that are, uh, you know, may need to take the, the top marker of, of uh, human ingenuity. But I feel like in my lifetime, you know, the, the thing that I can point to in my lifetime as, as someone who's, you know, part of the millennial generation, the thing I can point to and say this, this was the crowning achievement of mankind in, in the time that I've been alive. I think it's the web. I honestly do. It's not the smartphone. As great as the iPhone is, as, as much as that's changed people's lives, for me personally, it has not changed my life to the, to the degree that the web has changed my life. So uh, to put, a, put an exclamation point here on, on, on this topic, the, the Jared White show going forward is going to be all about the web and, and how wonderful of an invention this is. And the website as an art form is something that we need to be uh, encouraging and celebrating. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to being part of this dialogue with you uh, over the, the weeks and months to come. That's it for the meta tag segment today, and we're going to move on to the blog quote tag segment. And that is a list of links that I've compiled to uh, discuss with you and share with you uh, that I, I think are important and, and bear some, some, some good conversation. So uh, first, starting off here, uh, midroll.com posted an article about podcasting, um, the, the growth of podcasting so far in 2018 and the relationship between that and advertising. Um, and, you know, given that this is a podcast and we'll be talking a lot about podcasting on the show, uh, I thought this, this bears some uh, looking at here. So uh, they say that um, most podcasting would not be possible without advertiser support. Um, and, you know, I think that's true. And advertising investment has increased across the medium broadly over the past few years. The interactive Advertising Bureau and Price Waterhouse Coopers recorded a 72% jump in podcast ad revenue from 2015 to 2016, and an even bigger 85% increase from 2016 to 2017. Let, let's think about this. So from 2016 to 2017, uh, podcast ad revenue increased by 85%. Now, an increase of 100% would be doubling. So it didn't quite double, but it, it got pretty close. Um, and it's, it stands to reason that, um, you know, from, from 2017 to 2018, um, which they, you know, they don't report a number on that here, but uh, from every angle, it looks like that that's increasing significantly. And so what does this mean? Uh, it means that podcasting it has uh, officially... <laughs> jumped off the train of hobbyists and technology nerds, you know, fiddling around with this interesting medium, you know, sort of as a, as a side note in the, you know, in the overall media landscape. And it's now big business. Podcasting is big business. It's big media. Big advertisers are coming into the, the medium. And so I think this is both good and bad. The good part of this is that it's going to increase the quality of podcasting overall, and it's going to it's going to bring a lot of new podcasts from people that were traditionally part of 
of big media, whether that's newspapers or television or something of that nature. Um, and, and I think this is great because podcasting is, is definitely one of my favorite ways to engage with, you know, the news of the day and thought leaders in their fields. I listen to a, a number of podcasts every single day. And um, obviously, this podcast is an attempt to, to join that community and uh, be a part of the conversation. So, you know, it, it, it goes without saying that I'm, I'm very much a fan of podcasting. And so the idea that more and more podcasts are going to be coming out from people that are, you know, at the pinnacle of their field, whether it's journalists or artists or creators of new types of art forms, uh, games, television, uh, movies. I mean, there are podcasts right now where you can listen to interviews with, you know, the top actors in their field. I just listened to a podcast that was an interview with Grant Gustin of The Flash TV show, one of my favorite TV shows. And you just couldn't get this kind of content before. The, you know, you, you couldn't just turn on your radio in your car and all of a sudden be like, wow, I'm listening to an interview with the star of The Flash, you know. It, it, that rarely ever happened. You couldn't just turn on your television and see an interview like that. Yeah, sure, you would see somebody on, on a, you know, on a late night show maybe or something like that. But it's typically like a few minutes and half the time they're just like doing some goofy thing that makes for good television. So you don't really feel like you get to know the person, what they're like and what they're interested in, how they feel. I mean, this interview with Grant Gustin was, was really cool because he was talking about, you know, the, the craft of acting and how he prepares for acting and like all these pretty significant details about his craft. And I just thought that was fantastic. Uh, we'll make sure we put a link to that uh, interview in the show notes because uh, definitely, you know, if you're into superhero shows at all, uh, and if you've ever watched The Flash, then then I think this would be a, a great interview for you to listen to. But anyway, getting back to the, the article here from midroll.com, um, basically what they're saying is, you know, the advertising is growing, uh, analytics are getting better, you know, Apple's rolled out their podcasting analytics that podcasters can get access to. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how advertising has gotten creepy on the web and the web's being poisoned by advertising, you know, gone awry because now everything you do is being tracked and Facebook has crazy amounts of information on you. And, and I, yeah, that whole issue is a big issue and we'll, we'll talk about that over time. Um, but podcasts are fairly benign in the sense that when you listen to a podcast, you're essentially just listening to an audio file that was pre-downloaded. Um, and so, you know, through Apple's podcast app specifically, um, you know, if they're tracking, you know, if you actually played a show and if you paused it at some point during the show and, you know, things of that nature, um, they're just recording that information because you're actually using that Apple podcast app. If you use another app, like, for example, I use Overcast, which is a great um, iOS platform podcast player by Marco Arment. Uh, if I use Overcast, um, Apple doesn't have any kind of analytics data, um, you know, based on what I'm doing in Overcast. So podcasting, depending on which app you use to listen to podcasts, um, there may be some tracking involved and some analytics data that's getting collected. And so, you know, if you don't mind that, then that's fine. Um, but you can use other apps as well. And so, you know, the open ecosystem, the open nature of podcasting, I think is, is, you know, really makes it one of the crown jewels of media today online. And the fact that bigger and bigger advertisers are getting into podcasts, I, I think, you know, that's not a huge cause for alarm. 
Um, but it does, you know, it's something we'll want to keep an eye on. It's a, it's a potential downside. Um, but I think the upside of, you know, bigger advertisers can potentially mean bigger money, which will then fuel, you know, podcasts with higher production values and, you know, more celebrities and people of note being involved in podcasting. You know, I think that's all a great thing. So this is definitely exciting news, I would say. On to the next topic. We have a, an item here that is very near and dear to my heart, and it's about Mist. You know, the game Mist. I realized the moment I fell into the fissure that the book would not be destroyed as I had planned. It continued falling into that starry expanse of which I only had a fleeting glimpse. I have tried to speculate where it might have landed, but I must admit, however, such conjecture is futile. You know the rest. If you've ever played the game, you know the rest. So Myst, celebrating its 25th anniversary, and Cyan, the creator of the Myst games, has a Kickstarter. And let, let me just give you the stats here for this Kickstarter, because it kind of blows my mind. They originally asked for $247,500, you know, which is a lot of money, uh, to do this entire 25th anniversary collection. It's all the Myst games, some of, some of which has been remastered to be like new improved visuals. And um, it comes with all kinds of cool rewards, including a quote-unquote actual linking book. So if you ever played any of the Myst games, you'll know that you know, one of the primary game, uh, ways you go through different game worlds is basically you have a book with like this panel that kind of looks like this, like a video screen or something. And through this panel, you can see the other world. And when you touch the panel you know, in the game, you essentially get sucked into that world. It's like you get, you go through some kind of wormhole and end up in this other world and you, and you got there through a linking book. And so one of the rewards here for this anniversary collection is an actual linking book. It looks like an actual book from the game, and it has an actual video screen on it, uh, on the page, where you can, like, see videos from the games. Uh, so, wow, what a cool reward. Um, but here's the thing. They asked for $247,500, and currently, as of this recording, they've raised $2 million $125,473. This is just blowing my mind. This is not for a new game. This is not for like a new missed movie. This is this this is not for, you know, the, whatever the cool new thing is that's coming from Cyan that, you know, somehow connected to the missed universe. This is just all the missed games everyone's already played along with some cool rewards like that linking book and they've raised over 2 million dollars. So I think this is a testament to how beloved these games are and how many fans of Cyan there still are out there. Uh, and this, this just warms my heart because I was a mist fanatic in my younger days. I mean, in the early 90s, I, I basically got on the internet through you know a dial-up connection. <laughs> yeah, dial-up, remember that. I first got on the internet, first got my email address, and started playing Myst, like, all within the same year. So, you know, when I look back on my childhood and I think of pivotal moments, basically the internet and playing Myst are, like, pretty much at the top. You know, they're, they're synonymous with, with my coming-of-age story. And so these games are very important to me. Uh, I still think Riven, the sequel to Myst, is the greatest computer game, or I should say adventure 
it's hard to even think of it as a game. It's more like an interactive adventure. And I think of it, it Riven is still, to this day, the, the greatest of that art form that has ever come out. It, nobody, including Cyan themselves, ever surpassed Riven, in my opinion. Um, and so I just think, you know, having Riven, having Mist, uh, having all the sequels all, all in this collection with all these cool rewards and the fact that they've raised so much money, uh, 13,888 backers so far, um, awesome news, awesome news. So congratulations, Cyan, you've done it. And, you know, all I can say is way to go. All right, so on to the next topic. Um, speaking of anniversaries, we're also celebrating the 20th anniversary of HTML 4.0. Well, actually, the original version of the HTML 4.0 spec actually came out in December of 1997. Um, but it was there, there were some updates made, and so the final spec, you know, the document that still stands today for HTML 4.0, um, that was ratified uh, April 24th, uh, 1998. 20 years ago. So that's, you know, just about the 20th anniversary here for HTML 4.0. Now, if you're wondering, you know, who the heck cares about that? Another version of HTML, whatever. Well, let me tell you, HTML being the lingua franca of the web is it, it, the, the influence and the importance of this technology cannot be overstated. I, I mean, let me just tell you, Amazon was made possible because of HTML 4.0. Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google, all of the internet giants that we have today all came from websites that were published using the HTML 4.0 markup language for the web. And you know, HTML 4.0 you know, added new tags. It, you know, it had increased specs of around a bunch of different tags and a bunch of different technologies um, you know, that... Uh, are newer than what preceded it in like HTML 3.0 or 3.2, I believe was the, the main version before that. Um, but HTML 4.0 was, you know, despite of all of its limitations, it was good enough that it lasted until 2014, tw the 28th of October, 2014, which is when the HTML5 spec was ratified. So HTML 4.0, virtually unchanged, was the the reigning king of web technology for over well over a decade and all of the internet giants were basically built on top of the web as specified by html 4.0 um, so it's just crazy that it, it lasted that long and it was good enough this you know despite many limitations and many confusing uh things that you know led to the browser wars where you know, if you if you used Internet Explorer versus Netscape and later Firefox and later you know Chrome or Safari, you know there were all these differences between browsers because they didn't necessarily adhere to that HTML 4.0 spec perfectly. Um, but you know, in spite of all that, the the web grew and thrived and became what it is today because of HTML 4.0. So uh, so happy 20th anniversary HTML 4.0. <laughs> Thank you for being just good enough that 
it led to the the explosion and the amazing growth and uh, flourishing of the World Wide Web. And our last item today is this story that I found through Reddit that was, man, just super emotional and, and kind of sad. But, you know, in the long run, this is good news. And that is uh, John Dunn is a black man, and he was wrongfully jailed at the age of 14. He was accused of murder and uh, you know, went to jail in 1991. And all this time, he, with, without wavering, he claimed he was innocent, that he was wrongfully accused and wrongfully imprisoned. And finally, now, now that he's in his 40s, he has been cleared of all charges. And the picture that's been floating around the web, uh, you know, the, the look on this man's face as he breaks down in tears, hearing that he is a free man and he stands accused of no wrongdoing. Uh, it's just, it's been getting to everyone. What, what an emotional moment. And can you, can you imagine, can, can you even imagine what it's like to be wrongfully accused of a crime like murder and to go to prison and to be in prison for decades, decades. And then finally now, now being in your forties and getting out and having all charges dropped and, and just, you know, the, the emotional weight of, you know, not only relief that it's over, but also just, you know, it, it, it's hard for me to imagine him not feeling bitter. You know, it's hard for me to, to think that he's, he isn't just, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one heck of a story. But, um, you know, John Dunn, I'm so glad that you are out of prison, that you are a free man, and the the debt that we owe you as a society can never be repaid. And all, all I can say is, you know, I hope any, any other cases like this out there right now, uh, that, you know, justice is served swiftly. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, corruption in, in the... the uh, police and judicial ranks these days with, you know, recent incidences, especially as it, as it uh, applies to the, the black community. Um, but, you know, how many of these cases are there out there where, where black men were accused of crimes and jailed decades ago? Um, and, you know, because of corruption and because of people on whatever payroll or, or you know, whatever racist issues may be going on there, they're, they're in prison for things they didn't do. But anyway, uh, hats off to John Dunn. You are finally cleared of all wrongdoing and you're a free man. And that, uh, that's an amazing story. We're here to the last segment of the show. This is the image tag segment. This is where we uh, profile a creator that's doing amazing work on the web and is uh, you know somebody of note that I think you should know about. Uh, and today I'll be talking about a podcast called The Faith Angle. And uh, this is an amazing podcast by, by two, um, two authors, uh, journalists, pundits on TV and elsewhere. And um, I just think that this is one of the one of the most important podcasts um, right now, covering such an important topic in America. And it's the relationship between the Christian religion and the political power 
system that has engulfed Washington, D.C. Um, and so the Faith Angle is uh, produced and hosted by Kirsten Powers and Jonathan Merritt. Uh, Kirsten Powers, you may know from uh, various television appearances, uh, whether it was Fox News in the past or today on CNN. Um, you may know her as a USA Today columnist. Um, I actually uh, had seen her appear quite a number of times a long time ago, a long time ago, <laughs> when I was actually a Fox News TV viewer. Um, and I always appreciated her when she, whenever she was on as a, as a pundit because, you know, she identified herself as Democrat, um, but at the same time, she identified herself as pro-life, and, you know, those two often don't go together. Uh, and the way she talked about issues, you know, sometimes she was, you know, harsh on on the, you know, the right, the the conservative movement, as you know, you might expect from her being a Democrat. Um, but then sometimes she was harsh on the left and on her own party. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe that's why she ended up uh, not being on Fox News because she was <laughs> too too reasonable of a person. I I don't know, <laughs> they couldn't handle that kind of. Uh, you know, thoughtfulness maybe. But anyway, she's gone on to, to other, uh, big and bright things. And, uh, now she's doing this podcast along with Jonathan Merritt. Um, and Jonathan Merritt, I've been following on Twitter for quite some time. Um, he's written a lot for the Huffington Post and for the Atlantic and other, uh, journalism outlets, uh, talking about faith and culture and politics in America. And so, uh, you know, having, having these two, uh, powerhouse personalities together on one show uh has been hugely rewarding as a listener um they uh they have good rapport together and the guests that they've had on the faith angle have been fantastic uh, every episode i've heard so far and i've heard like i think four or five episodes now um every one of them has just been tremendous and so if you're at all interested in, in uh, the, the political scene in America uh, and how Christianity intersects with that, um, you know, what, what is the Christian faith in America? What, what relationship does it have with politics? What relationship should it have with politics? How that intersects with conversations on gender and race and, you know, sexual identity and just you know, this whole swirl of, of conversation that, you know, can get very heated very quickly. Um, I just so appreciate the faith angle because it looks at these, you know, these issues thoughtfully, respectfully, um, great hosts with, with really great insight into all of these kinds of issues. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it leans on the, the progressive side of, you know, this overall debate. So if you are, you know, of a, highly conservative persuasion um you know you you may have a, a lot of uh a lot of concerns about some of the views on the show um but i still think it's worth listening to and and engaging with and so uh the faith angle kirsten powers and jonathan Merritt, they are the uh, image tag segment spotlight for today And there you have it, my friends. The Jared White Show comes to a conclusion for its first episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find the show notes at jaredwhite.com slash podcast slash one. And of course, uh, we'll be coming out with new episodes on a weekly schedule. So uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on other directories that will be added on. 
please uh, go to the jaredwhite.com website and sign up for our newsletter if you want to uh, get uh, weekly links and information from the site as well as the podcast. Thanks so much for being a listener and hopefully a longtime supporter of the show going forward. And until the next episode, have a wonderful week. Bye.